if we tell you about Action Jackson, you promise not to go befouling our patrol car? There's been a lot of talk about Sergeant Jericho Jackson. Some say that some researchers at NASA created him to be the first man to walk on the moon without a spacesuit. Harvard Law degree. Your old partner seems to be some kind of magnet for trouble. He wouldn't have it any other way. But forget everything you've heard. Jackson is so vicious, we don't even let him have a gun. Because action speaks louder than words. Chill out. Why do they call you action? Whip! I think that's a cat. No, I got you. <laughs> the one big fella. This is Action Jackson. I bet you make a good living at this, don't you? Some action. Yabby dabby doo. One, two, three, go! If I was to hit you again, you'd probably slap my little body right through that wall. I was thinking about it. Carl Weathers is Action Jackson, and action is on the way. Mark it on your calendar. That day is coming. Hello, friends, and welcome to the most glorious of events, the Movie Mavericks Podcast. This outstanding program is hosted by two fine gentlemen, Jason and Trevor. Now make it so. MovieMavericks.com Hey now everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks Podcast. I'm Trevor Anderson, since you over Jason Rugard, he will tell you what's going on. Tonight we have action, action Jackson to be specifically. Action Jackson. <laughs> Mr. Carl Weathers in the lead role. The big push to make him a viable leading man and we'll discuss exactly. whether that happened or not. I mean, this is well, a, what time? What time is it? It's time for action. There you go. Thank you. Thanks for setting me up and letting me knock down the pins. <laughs> I really appreciate that. You can be my wingman anytime. Uh, this uh, movie was released yeah. uh, on February thirteenth, nineteen eighty-eight, so some time ago, and it came in third for the weekend that it came out, narrowly beating out the action adventure film. Shoot to Kill, which starred Tom Berenger and Sidney Poitier, who just passed away last week. Are you a fan of Shoot to Kill? Did you ever see Shoot to Kill? Uh, I never saw it. No, you never saw Shoot to Kill? That's a good movie. No. Honestly, that, that's a great action-adventure movie. Are you a Tom Berenger guy? I feel like you're a Tom Berenger guy. I, I want to be, but um, he's made a lot of really bad stuff. <laughs> I know. The Last of the Dog so, Men. Did you ever see that? I, I've, yes, I've seen enough of, especially the later stuff, even throughout the 90s. Though, there's there's plenty of really bad Tom Berenger stuff. Well, I mean, Tom Berenger is probably most well-known for Platoon, but I would also say Major League as um, well. Sniper. Sniper. There you go. Yeah, that's um, another one. I mean, that's a whole series, you know. He was the original substitute, so I'll give him that, but Treat Williams is way better. Uh, we're going to go ahead and minus the substitute from that equation because he was also the killer in Sliver. <laughs> which was an absolutely ludicrous film in the 90s as well. They tried to push him like they did William Defoe, who obviously had a bigger career post-Platoon than Tom Berenger. But I would highly recommend Tom Berenger and Sidney Poitier's film Shoot to Kill, also with a cool villain played by Clancy Brown and Christy Alley when she's young in that. That's actually a really good movie. you got to check it out, man. Oh, yeah. That's a Spottiswood movie, is it not? Yeah, it is a Spottiswood. Roger Spottiswood yeah. film. Roger Spottiswood. Uh, and it was... At the time, it was proclaimed to be um, Sidney Poitier's big return back to the big screen after about a decade. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, the year before Action Jackson was released, Carl Weathers starred in a TV movie, a remake of The Defiant Ones with uh, 
Robert Urich, I believe, and his the guy that you know he was replacing or the remake of was the Sidney Poitier original. So it's kind of weird that these movies opened up against each other, kind of going through the same audience. I mean, it's an action adventure, yeah. African American lead. I think that the you know would have cannibalized each other a little bit at the box office. Well, yeah. Well, during this time though, things ran for a long time. You had plenty of time to see everything. And I always thought it was fun to speculate because this was a Joel Silver production, and we'll talk mm-hmm. about that in depth here in a second. But I always thought it was fun to speculate that if Jackson had performed better, could Weathers have possibly been cast in Die Hard? I mean, I know they were in the process of making Die Hard at this point because it came out later in the year, but you think Weathers ever would have been mentioned for that role if if this would have been a big hit? I don't know. That's hard to say, especially with different castings and different things. It wouldn't have been the movie, obviously, that it is. I think I actually think it would have been a worse movie with Carl Weathers in it, and I like Carl Weathers. He's uh, more imposing i think of a, of a person you know i like in, like in predator and stuff he's evenly matched with schwarzenegger in my opinion as far as like in, in, in being an imposing person on the screen and that's kind of the point of action jackson right to make a big deal out of that i don't think they played it up enough physically in the movie as they did you know talking about it but yeah i don't think that would work with die hard though how did you come to see action jackson initially was it vhs was it a theater was it television like a tnt or something I don't remember. <laughs> you just happened to, to you know, you've seen no it idea. somewhere along the way. Yeah. Oh, for uh, sure. Oh, well, I've seen it several times in the past decade, too. Um, really? I mean, I saw it not too long ago. I saw it a couple years ago. I watched uh, it. Maybe because we thought about doing a retro for it back then, and we never got around to it, so we rewatched it. Because I think we've talked about visiting this a couple times. It's a good movie, so I'm fine with watching it. <laughs> you know, watch it every once in a while. It's no problem. I saw this on opening weekend uh, back in the day, and I had somehow convinced my parents to take me at the age of eight to the theater. And to be honest, it was a glorious experience because there was a bunch of action. There was familiar faces throughout the movie in prominent and supporting roles. And there's a fair amount of nudity, uh, courtesy of Vanity and Sharon Stone, two of the most beautiful mm-hmm. women of that decade. And even Carl Weathers, to some extent, who, who goes shirtless for a, quite a portion of this film. Also, what I recall is that I owned the soundtrack and I believe, but I'm not 100% sure that they handed out the soundtrack when you bought a ticket. I know this happened when I was 13 and I saw Gladiator, the 1992 version, the boxing film. They gave you the, the cassette tape, the, the soundtrack. But to this day, I still have both of those tapes, Action Jackson and the soundtrack to Gladiator, the 1992 version. And we'll play some snippets of the soundtrack throughout this episode and at the end so you can hear the Pointer Sisters and some of the snippets from Michael Kamen as well. Speaking of the music of this it's, it's done by Herbie Hancock and Michael Kamen. This feels like it's basically the Lethal Weapon score put on this film, that they used a the temp track and they just never took off the temp track. Did you notice <laughs> how many cues were similar, not only to Lethal Weapon, but Die Hard had that Michael Kamen sameness to it? Are you saying he phoned it in? <laughs> I, I'm saying that they just took another <laughs> score and put it on this and, and paid him a little bit. I don't think well, he wrote an not... original piece of music. You think this is the exact same score? It sounds so similar. But again, again mm, all Michael to, Kamen scores sound similar, except for Robin Yeah, you'd have to Robin put Hood. those back to back and see if you can figure out if they are the same. But I, I don't know. I'm not sure. It didn't really sound completely the same to me. That Robin Hood score, though, is, is excellent, especially the, the opening. Yeah, the opening Ooh, overture. The best music ever written, yeah. Uh, and then the horse chasing sequence, too, when uh, Robin and... Morgan Freeman's character are fleeing yeah. from the Mad Mary. I thought the, the music in Action Jackson is a little bit less. There's 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 moments in this where there's music, and it doesn't add anything. It's just kind of noise. 
some of it's kind of goofy. I don't know whose contribution that was, but there are moments and pops that are kind well, of that's probably a little too 80s. playful. I mean, this yeah. is supposed to be a comedy. This film outgrossed the comparable films Over the Top from Stallone, Raw Deal and Red Sonja from Schwarzenegger, Red Scorpion from Dolph Lundgren, and Seagal and Van Damme's films Above the Law and Bloodsport. So why wasn't there a sequel to this movie? It cost $7 million to make. Well, that's what we got to talk about here. <laughs> because and I've never seen this, but I'm, I'm guessing you have? Yes. There's, so why wasn't there a sequel? Made for TV movie, right? That's kind it's of not, a sequel. This is so it's all bullshit. Nothing that I've seen everything that Carl Weathers has been in. It seemed like a no brainer to make a sequel to Action Jackson. It had a built in audience, you feel like, with, with this whole Carl. I mean, Carl Weathers is Carl Weathers throughout this movie, the same character he's playing. He's in a planet, basically Apollo Creed, he's the same character in Predator. There's not much latitude for him to stretch as an actor, but they could have monetized him better, and it would be three years until he started his next film, Dangerous Passion, and then two years after that was Hurricane Smith, which in some territories was also billed as Action Jackson 2. So you have Dangerous Passion being billed as Action Jackson 2, Fortune Dane, which was a 1986 hmm. TV series that was released on video in the mid-90s or early 90s, and they tried to capitalize by calling that in some territories Action Jackson. So but that would have been made before. But, and, correct. And, but, but Dangerous Passion was made after, right? It, it's not a sequel. He's not playing Jericho Jackson. If you look at the IMDb, it's not. It's not the same character. Well, it might not be the same character, but it was a quasi-sequel. They tried to pin it as, right? They tried to just milk anything they could from it. But why did it take so long for... <laughs> For him to get back in front of a camera, and especially on that level, you figure that he's been. Well, it was only uh, two years. That seems like they should have to just, ninety. They should have, and it's a TV movie. They should have capitalized. Yeah, that's the that's the the bad you know, part. I mean, but you have to remember. I mean, what he's uh, what Weathers has said about this is that they sold the studio and the library, right? Yeah, yeah explain that to the audience. And there. so that uh, that screwed him. This was made Lorimar. by Lorimar Film Entertainment. And Lorimar um, sold off to, I don't know, they sold the, the, um, the library off to Warner Brothers. And, and I, I think they sold the lot to Sony. To Sony. Mm-hmm. Their physical lot. Yeah. If you remember, Sony was trying to break into the, you know, that's what they bought, Columbia TriStar. This was another one of the, the, they're trying to buy lots and things. They're trying to break into the entertainment industry around this time. Yeah, I'm not sure why, I don't know why they sold. They must have gone out of business, I guess. I just know that this was became a Warner Brothers title from there on out. You know, there's some video versions that had the Lorimar look to it, and there's some video versions that look like a, a Warner Brothers release, you know, with the, the type print on the back of the VHS box, and even in snap cases now on DVD, it's the Warner Brothers release. And to find this on Blu-ray, you have to do the Warner Brothers archive collection. So this is clearly in their library now, and they own the, the rights to it, but... It's just bizarre to me that this was never monetized further, that they didn't capitalize on this because it seems it just seems like a no-brainer. I mean, he's a he's perfect for this role. I mean, this is some sort of de- variation on the black exploitation film, the John Shaft, uh-huh. right? I mean, he's irresistible to women. He's the coolest guy in the room to other men. You know, he he kicks ass and, and hooks up with people, but it's a bit of a softer character. Um, he's a little bit more sensitive I'd say than the Shaft character or the Superfly character from the 1970s yeah he is you're right uh, especially in dealing with the with the women and stuff it's it's kind of interesting at the beginning of the movie he doesn't uh, quite realize the havoc he wreaks by just uh, coming into contact with people <laughs> Yeah, right? he's getting people killed by just showing he's up and asking killed, questions. getting people killed, but he doesn't know. He's just kind of he's, so he's still nice about all of it, and it's still like a comedy when he when he uh, goes and finds a guy and his balls. 
just his balls in a in a jar and they get into that whole fight uh sequence there and by my count action jackson features four actors from predator four from die right. hard in the in the year one, right after predator one from lethal weapon then you got biff from uh, you got back to the biff. future you He's got a cop. The, you got the bartender who is from Commando, who Schwarzenegger kills in the plane. And then if you notice the hotel clerk, who's the former boxer, that's the guy in the first Predator who stumbles out of the garbage truck and goes, God damn, son of a bitch. What, you know, when the lightning goes off, <laughs> that's that actor. Well, I'm just sitting all, there going, uh, they, they all, all know the each other, agent? clearly. Yeah, I, well, they must all know each other, I obviously. feel like Joel Silver has his own acting troupe that we didn't even know mm-hmm. about, you know? Um, but to, to see these faces pop up and then you, you would realize, you know, the Robert Davi, Sony Landham, all these, mm-hmm. all these people popping up over and over and over. They couldn't be a mistake. Argyle, you know, as, as the well, valet. I'm arguably the most amazing thing is Craig T. Nelson pulling off some Van Damme kicks, right? Oh, I love that. The spinning back kick. <laughs> and not they, only that, doesn't it look like his legs are just like not his legs. They look like some, someone like just has a fake leg and just flips like it around. Chuck and stuff. Norris's it brother who's doing the, the stand in form. <laughs> but my favorite bit of that is that he's the kind of sophisticated uh, ass kicker that works out with a polo on and a sweatshirt over it. But yet the top of the, the cuff of the, the polo shirt out. Get the fuck out of here. I, mean, I hate when they... He looks about 75 in this movie. They do their best to make him physically imposing. He gives a great performance in a couple scenes, but he's physically no match for Weathers in this movie, which kind of throws off the balance of the film, <laughs> right? Because there's not a well, Vernon Wells is, that he's fighting. Who really is a match for Weathers in this movie? That's one thing I felt like the movie didn't do a very good job of dealing with. He's an imposing guy. He has huge muscles, but they almost hid his muscles <laughs> throughout most of the movie. Trevor wants more muscles in the film and uh, more muscle mass alone. Yeah. On muscle mass alone. <laughs> Predator is the greatest film ever made. Right. For, for, yeah. For anyone that watches, uh, it's always sunny. That's what I kind of expect from this type of a movie. Not, not so much uh, to play up, you know, the Eddie Murphy style comedy stuff, but to play up more of like, he's a big giant hulking guy. This film was directed by former stuntman and stunt coordinator, Craig R. Baxley. And if well you, it's a name, yeah, if you find that name on a movie, it's guaranteed to be a good time. I mean, Baxley was a also responsible. Scenes. I mean, when Sharon Stone gets killed, that's fine. Is that not a, I, is that a cool scene though? They say, you see the gun, the camera set pans up well. around, camera yes. pans back down, the gun is now gone. gone. Oh. Yep. I mean, it's kind of a nice uh, little scene. I actually like the scene with Robert Davi in the apartment as well. I mean, Robert Davi acts yeah. his ass off in that sequence, but that's a, that's a good scene between two actors that are acting above what you normally would get in an action film of this level. But Baxley also was responsible, the director for I Come in Peace and Stone Cold, two other guilty pleasures. And long before Chad Stileski and David Lettich were doing their thing, you had Hal Needham, Craig Baxley, Vic Armstrong, and Rowdy Harrington, who were all former stuntmen who came behind the camera and provided some really good action films for that era. And I think Action Jackson, I mean, it's ideal for a stuntman to make this movie because it's it basically, all the action in this movie is done by the stuntmen, I mean, obviously in every movie, but by that Invisible Men, that the squad of hitmen that they dubbed the Invisible Men. Did you pick up on that, by the way, that they have a name, mm-hmm. a moniker? Yeah. Um, those guys are all stuntmen because, I mean, one of them is, I believe two of them show up in Die Hard. Uh, They're all Germans, yeah, I, right? <laughs> yeah, right. The East German All Stars. They all look like they're German. Yeah. Uh, but so uh, yeah. But, but I, I just thought like Carl Weathers himself in his stunt double, like, his character is very passive in this movie for a long time. And I thought if there's anything that's wrong with this film, it's that 
he doesn't get involved well, in the not, action until the third act, really. I know. You, that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier, where he doesn't realize what, what's going on. Like, it, it's almost like he goes through and then the action follows him. Like, it's behind him. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, he's it's, just missing it wake. for so long until finally you get some action. And it's like a comedy stunt where he's running away from the police and they have to jump through the, I love when he throws, when he throws the guy from one building into the other building. <laughs> I, I rewatched that this morning. It cracked me up. The it's way, hysterical. Yeah. I mean, the, the actual force it would take is unbelievable, but let's get a quick recap here. I mean, action Jackson is Carl Weathers as the Jericho cop action Jericho Jackson. And he was busted down from Lieutenant to Sergeant after using excessive force on a pedophile and that criminal happened to be related to Peter Delaplane, who's the most powerful man in the Detroit auto industry. The AWA, the Auto Worker Alliance figureheads, are being murdered by this elite squad of mercenaries, and Jackson's trying to find out if Delaplane is in on taking out his rivals. And that's basically the setup you have here. And for as simple as that is, this movie goes extremely out of its way to make things confusing. From a story point, I understand what Jackson wants. I don't really know why Peter Delaplane is doing what he's doing. That's not revealed until much later, which is usually the case for these kind of movies. But the information that Jackson's gathering along the way and the murders that are happening are almost disconnected with my enjoyment of the film. <laughs> Did you follow yeah. any of that? These names that they don't go, they don't make who's who clear enough to be throwing around Stringer, Graham, Norton, O'Rooney, you know. Well, uh, are you. I've already we've seen the movie before so obviously that but I think even if you're watching this for the first time you know what's going on you, you it's just it's pretty clear so I agree with you I they go uh, they waste their time doing that and I kind of gloss over it at this point yeah I, I I did too except for the parts where it's it slowed them film down considerably which is in the second act and if you think about the set pieces what's the real big set piece the set piece in the second act is Carl Weathers up against the cab right when he's running down the car and he jumps on the top. What's the set piece yeah. in the third act? It's the the scene at the abandoned shipyard or whatever that is, you know, when they're trying to roast him. Uh, but what is the big, what does he do in this? I, I remember loving this movie and thinking it was packed with action. And as I watched it, I thought it was a bit vacant at times. I, I guess I just was 100%. expecting. There's downtime, especially in the second act. I mean, when he goes and gets uh, vanity and they drive around and, and deal with that whole nonsense. Um, but my God, does that slow down? My, my goodness, that thing. And it's got to be the, the most beautiful heroin addict I've ever seen on screen. And even when she's kicking <laughs> her habit, she still right? looks just unbelievable. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you know, not to skip ahead too far, but at the end, it's all good because now they have love and she doesn't need the drugs anymore because all she really needed was the attention of a man because she was only getting a little bit of attention from her mistress or, or whatever that is, her, her concubine, mm -hmm. Peter, Te Peter Delaplane. But this movie yeah, it's, has... It's not a movie to live by, we can say that much. No, no. This is, yeah, it's, it's so ridiculous It's very cartoony here. as well. And that so, was yeah. Roger Ebert's big complaint. They never did a, a filmed episode about this or I'd cut it into the episode here, but... Going on, he has written reviews, says that he felt that all the charisma was sucked up by vanity and that Carl Weathers just wasn't magnetic enough in the role, which I don't agree with. And he has a lot of issues with certain parts. He says there's some good elements, but a lot of it's junk, which he, he's correct on that. And he specifically has a problem with Carl Weathers seeming to be hum superhuman in this and running down a cab at 30 miles an hour. And 
I didn't have a huge well, problem that's what they with did, that. Though. I mean, th- that was often a jumping on cars and holding on to yep. moving vehicles is a huge stunt that they used to do constantly. Yeah, including in Above the Law, which came out the same year. You know, Above the Law, we just the saw it in a, the, the Roddy Piper movie. Um, yep. Whatever, Last yeah. of Surrender. They, they did it, that. It, they do it, it was in, a trope. It, guys, it happens in so many. Yeah, it's, what's, it's one of the few big stunt moves you could do. Uh, it's easy. It's cheap. All the stuntmen know how to do it. Uh, yeah, and so they, they did it constantly. They don't do that so much anymore. I, I, not that I can't remember really. I mean, maybe other vehicles they grab on a spaceships a lot more now. <laughs> yeah, maybe in Fast Nine but they I, did I, it. I you can't know? think about but, any yeah. cars where they do it. Yeah, maybe in that, but that's a little bit of a cheat. I just thought that well, what Ebert was saying when I read that was that he he took uh, exception to the fact that he could run down the car, but they did somewhat set that up earlier by saying he was a former track star. The Robert Davi character is supposed to have run track with them in in high school or college, so there was some sort of. Yeah, but the guy I, was was stopped, right? Yeah, I know. I, I believe. I, I looked that's at the it. Other and I go, thing I didn't that have I saw. I noticed because he was running, and then the guy stopped. It's like, oh, that's that's why you don't pull that shit off in like in cities where you can't get away, you know? And does does he not recognize that that was the the character? I mean, Weathers at this point is at a cat and he's at a standoff. He's playing chicken with a cab, and he's telling uh. the guy, "I know you killed Tony." And I always thought, is that because you recognized him from? when he was wearing a UPS uniform in the beginning, which also makes no sense. Let's back up. This, so the guy is dressed, the hitman no is dressed as a UPS delivery guy, uh-huh. murders the Robert Davi character at the front door, and then they later say, the cops say that it's suicide? Wouldn't ballistics show a bullet going through the front door? Who commits suicide in their hallway? I don't know. That's the 80s. They, they oh, didn't have man. ballistics. No forensics, <laughs> um, yeah. My, I, you know, Delaplane maybe had something to do with that. I don't know. He doesn't seem to be in with the cops so i don't know how i I don't know it's just it's sloppy writing and um maybe arm brewster had something to do with it what kind of name is that i know is it supposed to be arm buster i thought it was arm buster you're talking about bill duke who's the chief of police in this movie and he's he's chief e arm buster yeah earl I never recognized it on videotape because it wasn't clear enough. But I just, when you see it in HD, you go, oh, shit. Well, it's It's, also backwards on the door. There's a a shot where it's backwards, too. It's hard to read. It looks like Arm Buster. Yeah. Um, What do you think about the comedy in this? That's another thing Ebert took exception to. He said, this movie is very sadistic and very violent, although I would argue and say something like The Last Boy Scout is more sadistic and violent. But that's just the, the the course with these kind of films. And you need a, a bad, bad guy. Yeah, and you need to make them. I think them... that making, taking this and making it an outright comedy um, was a bad idea. And it seems like they tried to do that, but they failed miserably. And it's really not funny. I would rather have had it been just a, more of a straight action movie and, and a little bit darker and had uh, bits of, of funny in it. But But there were moments. It's got the lethal weapon formula. They're trying. You could see that they're yeah. trying. I didn't mind the kid that doesn't... faints. But when you get him out back in the, yeah. for the fourth time, it's it's not funny anymore. You, you know, that little that little morsel. And then, but, that was, but that's a big, that's like a big joke. That's a running joke in the movie. It's a big he's joke. He's in it four right? times. It's not, it's not that good. You know? No, I agree. And, you know, so there's you know, not what, a lot. I don't think there's a lot of comedy actually in the movie, which is the most they, comedy. It comes from Roger Aaron Brown. I mean, the the two Mm -hmm. patrol officers are kind of the Greek chorus of this film. You know, they keep popping in and they're the the two Keystone cops. It almost wants you to believe that there's going to be comedy. It sets the mood for comedy, but it doesn't really ever do it. 
it starts off very after that opening sequence where Edo Ross uh, gets. I mean, that's a great opening sequence, by the way. The first scene in this movie sets you up for just what's coming next in terms of violence, and it's really a take no prisoner scene. They beat but the I shit out of the woman. I wish they continued doing that. Um, yes, and, and had it been, and done comedy here and there because it is kind of. As bad as it sounds, it's a little humorous. Like the way, like they took him out with that the damn like giant uh, ball of flame, you know, fucking missile thing. Where the hell, you know? Well, and when the guy with the body just, lands, oh, the yuppie so diner the screams. They yeah, smash it's cut so on her screen. Over the top, like, um, and in some sense, like I would like to have had a little more comedy built into that type of stuff, and more of that, rather than trying to, you know, even as they built as the whole beginning after that, right? The cops. We're talking about this this joke as it as it starts. This kid fainting. They're the the Biff and his partner uh, catch him, and as they're going to the uh, police station, taking him in, they're talking up Action Jackson. He's the biggest guy. He's this and that. It's the whole yeah, story. Yeah, he's stuff. mutated from a gorilla. And it's somewhat funny. It goes on, I think, for a bit too long, but it's somewhat funny. But by the time he's actually introduced, it's just oh, he's just a guy though. Like that, those are just tall tales. It's like, yeah, well, they should have found of, him that's, working that's a out. Downer, man. That's kind of a downer. <laughs> I mean, they, they maybe should have found him like working out in the gym or something like that, and that's when he saw him for the first time, or, yeah, or so after I, something I don't like, think instead they, of just at his desk. Strong enough punchlines and, and and a big enough carry through over for the comedy stuff. I I, I think it falls it falls flat, really. They keep interjecting though those two cops. I mean, Locke and Cornblue, um, Roger Aaron Brown and Thomas J. Mm-hmm. Wilson, who was Biff in Back to the Future. And this is one of the rare movies I've ever seen that actor in outside of Back to the Future. So it's it's strange that he took on this He's little been in role. Other things <clears throat> in small roles, I guess, as, as well. I mean, that's an actor yeah, who I'm never really to took off. I have seen him in other things because every time he pops up, you're like, "That's Biff." <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. It's like seeing Anthony He's Michael Hall. You just recognize it. it. Yeah, you're never gonna escape it. Never. Uh, but, you know, they're the, the, the contemporary humor in the film because Carl Weathers isn't given a lot of time to display anything other than uh, a, a gentle quality in some sequences with vanity. But really, he's just brute force through this movie. And it's it's a detective's piece. This is a movie. It's almost like a Sherlock Holmes movie. You got to go to this person and this person. I got I wasn't sure why he was going to this person There's to get information to about what. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not. Discover. And th- there are interesting moments like when he goes down to find Papa Doc at the pool hall and they have his balls in a jar. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, did, we don't know balls. who the fuck Papa Doc is. We don't know what he did to get his nuts cut off. It doesn't matter. It just looks like two snails in a fucking bar- <laughs> thing of formaldehyde. And But I remember seeing that as a kid and thinking, this is really intense. I mean, he's in some serious trouble here. And then I was always wondering at the end with the Peter Delaplane. When they have him locked, when they have him tied up, Jackson, that is, when the bad guys have him and he's near his death, and Delaplane kind of gazes over his physique and says some things, was that supposed to be a little come on at that point? Did you did you see that, or am I interjecting something there? Uh, I, I'm, I don't know. You know what I'm when he back, says, oh, you, maybe. you shouldn't wear your heart on your sleeve and yeah. weathers flexes and he kind of gazes over his physique and it, it just kind of, it, that the movie needed more off key moments like that because that put me like a little bit offbeat where like, hey, what's going on here? Like, what's the real motivation? And for, as an adult, that's what I ask for a little bit more is character development. But as a kid, I mean, shit, weathers running around with a gun shooting people uh, and kissing hot chicks was enough for me. And uh, this is really a poster. It's not really a, a, a 
coherent movie, but it's a great <laughs> one sheet. You know, he looks like James Bond on the poster. And yeah. if there was ever going to be an African-American James Bond, I mean, Carl Weathers might have been your man. I mean, it really could have could have maybe done that. I mean, as good as Idris Elbus it would be now, in my opinion. Uh, and not just from a physique, but just from because he could play the gentleness that uh-huh. that that Craig does now, along with that brute force. Uh, I saw a lot of the Daniel, what Daniel Craig's playbook is for Bond in this Action Jackson thing. But um, do you think that Bridges may, or I'm sorry, that Jackson Weathers himself may have burnt some bridges, and that's why nothing materialized after this? Because this isn't a bomb by any means. I mean, it, may, it might not have been as successful as they had hoped it would be, but. Uh. I mean, why was he not even cast in another Silver production? You couldn't get him in know. Predator 2? You couldn't get him in, you know, something like that along the way? I mean, Silver had a lot of hits over the years. There was nowhere for him in a Lethal Weapon movie down the line? Yeah, I don't I don't know what happened to Carl Weathers. It's a good question because he did kind of just disappear, so to speak. I mean, he's still in a lot of things, but... And if you're a 90s kid, you know Miss Chubbs. to a degree. You know, that's all you know him as, you know, Miss Chubbs or maybe from The Mandalorian or uh, from Arrested Development. But most people don't remember yeah. him from Action I'm not Jackson, sure that's for sure. What the, well, I mean, I, yeah. I just would think Mandalorian would be the biggest thing, obviously, now. Yeah, I, I would think that would be what people would I know there have been, from. there's been some other things. I mean, you're right about the, um, the, uh, the other TV show. Yeah, Arrested Development. Called, Rest of development. When he was yeah. uh, Tobias' acting that coach. in and of itself was, um, <clears throat> I mean, that was 20 years ago, and that was the, the point was that people knew him then. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was kind right. of a joke on what he was yeah. doing and, and riffing on his own career at that point. Um, now, it kind of in summary, are you happy we went back and looked at Action Jackson? Do you, uh, do sure. you see why? I mean, are you are you mystified why it didn't have a sequel, or do you kind of see why this didn't launch? No, I think I think this vanities. is a one off. I yeah. think it's a one off. I don't think it would. I don't know what you would do with the sequel. I mean, it would just be its own it. separate thing. Um, so would, would we get the movie all over again? I don't know. <laughs> and this is a movie that goes to great lengths to show you that the, it's about the Detroit auto industry. I mean, that opening montage. Yeah, which is weird because it doesn't. Is, it's not really has nothing to do with it. Has nothing to do with. Yeah, this, you know, it shows us everybody on the, the labor line and, and on the conveyor belts working on things. And yeah. It's, and it has nothing and the, to the do with that. Just, it's just like, it's just the mafia taking over the... Uh, the auto industry. The um, Yeah, it's just weird, right? It doesn't... I mean, I guess it works for the mafia aspect, but yeah, it doesn't really have anything to do with the city. Tell me this isn't a movie of its time when the car... The Tesla of, of the movie, if you will, is named the Haley based on the comet, the Haley Bop comet that was coming through <laughs> in 1986. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so and that car looks terrible. I mean, I don't know what they modified that or put, you know, a new body on on what existing engine. But that's a fucking ugly car. And the hot, hotter, hottest thing to, to have your final fight scene in a stairwell of a mansion. It just. That always bothered me about this movie, that the peak of it, the actual climax is when Weathers says, you know, how do you like your ribs and kills the henchman because Delaplane himself is not that much of a physical threat. It's those guys that but are he, the... But he's got the legs. He's got, those, he's got, he's he's got, got the, the reach. He's got the crazy legs. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? I, when he starts getting into fisticuffs with Weathers, I was like, get the fuck out of here. I mean, get out of here. 
And did you know, this is something that I didn't even know until we were doing uh, research on this, that Carl Weathers actually hosted Saturday Night Live in, because of this movie, because it was coming out. Oh, really? Did you know that? I had no idea. I That's watched the monologue on YouTube today, and it's painful. It's, he's so fucking nervous. It's is absolutely it on, dreadful. Uh, aren't they all it's on, on Hulu? It's on Peacock or Hulu. It's season 10, episode 13, so January uh, of 1988. That's so interesting. <laughs> that's so weird. I know. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch the whole thing because uh, I've been doing that hmm. recently. I've been watching the episodes from 1996, which are hit and miss to say the least, but the Jim Carrey one from that era with you know a prime Will Ferrell and Jim Brewer and all those guys is really fucking funny. But I rewatched the Stallone one, which was just okay recently, but the I watched the Seagull one, which is the most infamous one because it's the worst <laughs> host of all time, they all say, which is, you can see, he's just in a crumpy mood the whole time. But uh-huh. Weathers is trying in this monologue, and if you're interested, it's on YouTube or the full episodes on Peacock. And uh, I'm curious to see what he does because it's he's, he's nervous as all hell. You can tell. Uh, his timing's bad. He's just not comfortable with doing comedy, I don't think. Uh, he doesn't seem like he improvises very well. I, I think he's an actor that needs to have it on the page in front of him and needs to rehearse it a bunch of times and then uh, perform it like that as opposed to just being off the cuff. But it's funny that they gave it to them. I mean, in preparation for Action Jackson, you got the Saturday yeah. Night Live hosting gig. That's interesting, you know? right? But <clears throat> I don't know, man. I mean, back then it seemed like only John Goodman or Alec Baldwin was ever hosting it. So, Well, this was... Um I mean, that would have been right around the time. I think. I wonder if that has anything to do with the Warner Brothers buying it. Oh, I didn't realize that they bought it. Gives it a little, a little boost. Well, yeah, yeah Warner Brothers bought, bought. I mean, they own this movie, right? Yeah, well, I didn't realize they, uh, they bought, um, or that they could do that. And get him on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, but you're probably right. They probably been a well, call. Well, they were. They're uh, like the biggest studio, especially back then. They'd been like the biggest studio. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think maybe because this is what they bought this. They bought Lorimore in like 87 and this came out in like 88. So yeah, February. Come of on. Like so. they may have like may have had a little bit of a push there for something, you know? Yeah. The episode that I'm talking about, like I said, January 10th, 1988, the film itself came out February 12th, 1988. So within three to four weeks of, of that airing, the film was in theaters and uh, performing fairly well to four times its opening roughly. And uh, that usually shows that it had some sort of legs. But the majority of this, it's rumored that this movie made $45 million in VHS rentals. And, <laughs> I, I mean, there's no way to substantiate that because it's just that's what Weathers should say. This, but this I kind is of believe that kind that. of a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this and was it, the video store staple. It was a, it's, the, it's the perfect time period, yeah. And it's for VHS. For a movie like this, this would be the, that would be around perfect time period. This is a movie that plays well to do in that. Pan and Scan as well. Because I had this taped off of HBO for years. That was my copy. And the fucked yeah, up thing was... particular about I, it. I missed but... the beginning. Mm-hmm. I never saw that opening. <laughs> uh, I, so when I was a kid and I ran home to hit record, <laughs> it was already when the music was oh, going in that man. montage. So I, I never knew that that Ed Ross thing existed until I got the DVD when we were in film school. And then that I was like, shit. Your mind. <laughs> I remember seeing it as a kid, but I didn't recall it. You know what I mean? I just the movie in general I remember seeing. So... Yeah, it was like, fuck, there's a whole opening sequence here. This is great. And I love that Ed Ross tries to seduce his secretary. He tries uh-huh. to put the, she says, I'm late for a date. This guy just automatically, <laughs> since she mentions date, he goes, she must be horny. So he automatically <laughs> pulls out some bourbon, puts on the TV. What's he put on? Some boxing, because that's going to yeah. really get her into it. And then starts massaging her soldiers. I mean, they, her shoulders. This is a total fucking creep slime bag. And I think they do that on purpose, so that when he gets murdered, you don't feel 
particularly bad form, right? I mean, it wasn't that. Oh, but she gets murdered. <laughs> she gets punched in the face and knocked out immediately. She's the first one to take a shot. And not only does she get punched, she gets punched through a plate glass window. I mean, mm-hmm. the, whoever had the window concession on this fucking movie, the glass concession, made a lot of money. Yeah, that is a that's an insane opening when she takes that punch. She's just like, holy cow! <laughs> they just knock her out cold, and it's supposed to be like the humane thing, I guess, because they don't shoot her. But then you come to find out that they they burned her alive anyways. They, yeah, you, just, she gets a mention later that she's dead. <laughs> yeah, a passing mention, um, and you know this the impracticalities of this movie will make you laugh. The fact that they could that Craig T. Nelson can murder Sharon Stone, who's his wife at the time, who just is a prime Sharon Stone. Right? Um, and, and that just there's no shoots blood her close anywhere. range, yeah. And then they just put her in a bathtub. What, well, no, what they do? They put her in a motel, no, they like put her she on, a, on his bed. or some shit. No, they, no, yeah, no. They, they like, like he killed her. Like, uh, no, they, the gunshots there. They just made her naked and put her in Jackson's apartment. So how the fuck they get the body right, up there? Right. How's there's no blood That's trail? What I was trying to figure you out, know? like, why? Well, they like set it up so it was like, uh, I don't know. Just it's such a weird looking uh, scene. Like, they needed him to go on the run. That's what they needed. They needed a reason for him uh, to, to be on the run, and that was the simple. That, that makes the immediate sense. next scene is when they blow up Vanity's apartment for no reason because they mm-hmm. don't know she's done anything wrong at that point. Why would they try to kill her? Because he's just killing mistresses now. He wants to kill all of his bitches. She hasn't done oh. anything wrong. It's not yeah, motivated at all. That's true. Uh, but I mean, I unmotivated. It, it's uh, it's a poorly it's it's really poorly written a movie, but it's a it's I think it's well directed and at least. Uh, the action's pretty good, so eh, it's yeah. fun. What can you say? It's yeah. fun, and if you can get through that second act, which gets a little uh, sluggish, there is some cool action in the third act that really brings it home. Um, save for that climax, which I just wish would have been a little bit bigger, in the sense of uh, making it stand out. And the apart actors from the rest really of the do. I, I mean, Carl Weathers is, is doing his best. Vanity's doing her best. Craig T. Nelson's doing his best. Sharon Stone's doing her best. Like, the, there's really not a, a a fault in any of the actors. Yeah, including Vanity, who actually holds her own on screen as well. Surprisingly, yeah, I like all very of them little, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Bill Duke adds a as a yeah, you know, great little touch. It's fucking great, yeah. I mean, I love his his droll, his dry drollness in this film is perfect for when he says when he says Parcheesi. It's my wife's Parcheesi night. I just love the way he <laughs> I know, pronunciates that, that. It sounds fucking painful the way he's saying it. You know, like he does not <laughs> uh-huh. want to do this at all. That is, and funny. he just creates a character with a couple lines. So I always thought I appreciated that. I wish they would have had more of him in there. Although, you know, getting called in front of the chief and getting your ass handed to you was such a trope even then that uh, it's it's at least he brings something so to what, it, some um, energy. What uh, choreography did Paula Abdul do? <laughs> Was this be the, the vanity stuff? I don't. It must really have been the vanity anything. stuff, um, because which is that whole little dance that she does in front of Carl Weathers. Remember that? That yeah, kind of she was like, like voguing. It was, it was too no, much. it's nothing. Oh, <laughs> I mean, she could have just, just got out there and dance, you know. I'm sure Joel Silver was just trying to Harvey Weinstein her and get her, you oh, know, God. in the room. <laughs> then Joel Silver, the luckiest man in the film business, for not being thrown in prison along with uh, Weinstein. I guess he was just a prick, but not a, a sexual predator on top of being a prick. I don't know. I mean, this is, he, he doesn't really do anything anymore, right? He's out of the business. I mean, ever since those That's After what I'm Dark saying. features, remember that? That's what I'm saying. So maybe he uh, he made a little exit there. <laughs> and The Matrix, I don't even think he has a piece of this latest one. I don't know. Uh, he which... reminds, like, his, uh, he's got to be, well, I don't know. I mean, he might not be a sexual predator, but he's he's definitely like a sleazebag. Yeah, he's up there with the Scott You can Rudens. just look at him. The Brett oh, Ratner's, yeah. um, you know. I was just gonna say Brett Ratner. I mean, the perfect couple right there. Yeah, they, they. I hate to say a picture tells the story. 
but yeah, the picture but tells does. a story for that. Yeah. 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 Sometimes this, that's how stereotypes happen. The shit's true. Well, that's going to wrap up our episode on Action Jackson. We thank you guys for joining us tonight. It was fun to go back and look at this. And as we record this, it's actually Carl Weathers' 74th birthday uh, today. So happy birthday to Mr. Weathers. Um, always brings me back when we watch this to our infamous run-in with the actor Robert Davi and uh, how we infuriated him and how he wanted to kick the shit out of both of us. Um, in fact, whenever we watch Die Hard, uh, my stepkids like to bring up the fact that, hey, isn't that the guy that wants to kick your ass? <laughs> Agent Johnson or Special Agent Johnson? Yes. He could probably do it, too. He could probably take us both on. I think he's angry enough. I, he's I really a, do. Yeah. He is, he's a tough cookie. He's a tough cookie. But you know what? I will say maybe one of the best underrated Bond villains. I really loved him in License to Kill. Uh, he's a great he's, actor, a great singer. Uh, yeah, and a smart person, too. I follow him on Twitter. Yeah. He's, yeah. I know. The thing is, he's actually a, not only a singer, he's a crooner. He can do those Sinatra songs. Like, they're, they're beautiful. He's got a beautiful voice. So, um, Davi, if you're out there listening, we love you. Don't come after us <laughs> uh, unless you want to get on the podcast. Yeah. Speaking for Trevor Anderson, this is Jason Lugard, and we are Easy Maps.